All right, John 21 this morning. John 21. John chapter 21, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25, which we're going to finish our study of the book of John today. John 21, beginning there in verse number 18. And as we begin this today, uh, I believe I mentioned maybe last week, we began this series in November of 2017. And so we have worked our way through the book of John. And as you, oftentimes when you reach the end of a book, uh, oftentimes there are great reminders of things to carry forward. In other words, coming to the end of a book uh, doesn't mean we forget. It means we carry those things that are going to help us into our, our next study. Uh, Lord willing, uh, we'll begin a series in 2 Thessalonians next Sunday during this hour. We completed 1 Thessalonians earlier this year. So today we'll finish the book of John, and next week we'll begin in 2 Thessalonians. Look with me, John 21, and I want to just uh, draw our attention to verse number 19. This is our Lord speaking uh, to uh, Peter, and here are his words. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Notice that simple, short expression, follow me. Our Lord is now giving Peter some final directives. These directives are directives that are indeed sobering, but they're also a great reminder of the cost to follow Christ. Uh, we are living in a day and an age where following Christ has become a catchphrase or a buzzword. Uh, people use it to advertise on t-shirts. They use it to advertise certain things that, you know, let's make this our goal to follow Christ. But I want you to know something this morning that for the Apostle Peter and for you and I, there is a cost to follow Christ. And many are not willing to pay that price. They're not willing to pay that cost. Now, I understand contextually, uh, we've got to be very careful that we don't put ourselves into the narrative. Uh, what I mean by that is, is you've all heard the expression that uh, during the battle between David and Goliath, you've heard it said, you are not David. Uh, you, you are not David. You are not, uh, uh, have a slingshot and going to slay the giants in your life. Be careful that you don't put yourself in the narrative. You and I are not Peter. Uh, you and I are not apostles. Uh, so there are things that are being said to the Apostle Peter that you and I may never face. But I will say this, that the phrase, follow me, ought to be the rallying cry of every believer. We ought to have a desire to follow Christ. And so we know the story of Peter. Uh, Peter has been a man who we have seen his ups, we've seen him downs, we've seen him be on fire for God, we've seen him waver, we've seen him deny the Lord. We've seen Peter at his worst and we've seen Peter at his best. And by not putting ourselves in the narrative, I think it's fair to say that's the life of all of us. Uh, we have moments where we appear to be doing really well. Uh, following God appears to be something easier than other times and other times we are just not doing well at all. 
Uh, We're not even following God in some of the simple things. But I do want us to see a number of things today with regard to Peter and these final directives. And I want to give you kind of an outline so you can follow along if you'd like. And I want to look at these, these, they're bigger truths. Um, These are more of expositional truths. You're you're not going to leave here today uh, probably with a rallying phrase, but I do want you to see the truth of what Jesus is talking to Peter about. In verses 18 and 19, Uh, we see the prophecy of Christ concerning Peter's death. The prophecy of Christ concerning Peter's death. In verses 20 and 21, we see the question Peter asked concerning John. And that's an interesting question that Peter asked regarding one of the other disciples. Verses 22 and 23, we see the reply of Christ to Peter's question. And then we will finish, verses 24 and 25, the final testimony of John. So we've got this working outline to go with, and let's look at this text and begin now in verse 18, and we'll look at these first two verses dealing with the prophecy of Christ concerning Peter's death, this sobering announcement that the Lord gives to Peter. It says there in verse 18, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whether thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, And another shall gird thee and carry thee, whether thou wouldest not. Now, in order to understand verse 18, we need to go back to verse number 19. Verse 19 gives us the meaning of what Jesus was speaking about in verse number 18. This is an example of the Bible uh, interpreting Scripture. It tells us the meaning of what he's saying in verse 18 because taken alone, it doesn't seem to make much sense. But we see the connection in verse number 19 that when Jesus was speaking verse number 18, he was talking about Peter's death. And he was talking about, and this is a remarkable statement, he's signifying by what death he should glorify God. In other words, Jesus is telling Peter that Peter, through your death, you are going to glorify God. Now that is a startling statement to think about it for a moment. Peter, in your death, you are going to glorify God. So this gives us the meaning. And Peter, and we know the narrative now because we're looking back, Peter, as well as all the apostles except John, which we know was ultimately exiled to Patmos. We read the book of Revelation. That's where John ended up. But all the other disciples that remained at this time would die a martyr's death. But this particular interaction is being given between the Lord and Peter. The Lord tells Peter by what death he would glorify God. Now, we understand from church history, the Bible does not give an account of this per se. We know that Peter ultimately died by crucifixion, but he died being crucified upside down. Christian history says that they attempted to crucify him in the same manner in which Jesus Christ was crucified. And Peter's words at his crucifixion were, I am not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord. Now, often people say, why did we not get that narrative in the Bible? God decided that we didn't need that in the inspired Word of God. That's church history. But he is talking about Peter's death. He's acknowledging here, he says, Peter, when you were young, thou girdest thyself. It means exactly what 
the, the direct interpretation of this. When you were young, you freely dressed yourself. He says you walked whether thou wouldest. You went wherever you wanted. You were free. You traveled wherever you want. You had complete freedom. But then, or when, he says, when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whether thou wouldest not. He's telling Peter that, Peter, there's coming a day that when you're going, you're going to live to be an old man. Remember, he'd already called him to be a fisher of men. You're going to preach the gospel. You're going to feed the sheep. Remember, we dealt last week with feed my sheep. He's already given Peter his life purpose. This is a reference to being bound as a prisoner. The stretching forth of the hands is a reference to the stretching forth of the hands on a cross. He's telling Peter, you are going to die a shameful death, but in your death, you are going to glorify God. Now, it's a sobering thought. Now, the phrase, whether thou wouldest not, is not a reference saying that Peter was unwilling to die for Christ. I think by this point in time, what Peter has already heard from the Lord, Peter has already begun that he's going to give his life for Christ. This doesn't mean that he's unwilling. What he's referring to here is that this type of death is disagreeable to the flesh. In other words, your flesh is not going to want to do this. Nobody in their right mind wants to die being crucified. Nobody nobody in their flesh says, hey, I want this. He's referring to Peter and he's telling Peter, this is something that is not going to be agreeable to your flesh, but nevertheless, this is the death that you're going to die. And when you die that death, you are going to glorify God. We know that Jesus Himself glorified the Father in His death. This has been months ago now, but back in John 13, we read these words, John 13, verses 31 and 32, when Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny him. But before he tells Peter about his upcoming denial, which we know happened, Peter denied the Lord three times. In verse 31 of John 13, it says this, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whether goest thou... Remember from our study, Peter was not fully aware of what Jesus was talking about going away. He was not fully aware that he was talking about dying. Jesus answered him, whether I go, thou canst not follow me now. Notice the phrase, follow me now. But thou shalt follow me afterward. There's our subject for today, follow me. Peter was told by Jesus back in John 13, you cannot do this now, Peter. You're not in a place where you can follow me at this place in John 13. But thou shalt follow me afterwards. He's referring to after his own death, Peter would follow. 
Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. That was Peter's flesh talking. That was Peter saying, Lord, if my death comes today, if they come for me, I will lay down my life right now. And we know what ends up happening. Peter ends up denying the Lord three times. His flesh got the victory. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, Thou cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. The Lord dismissed Peter at that moment and said, Peter, you have no idea what you're talking about. You will not give up your life now. But now, as we arrive at John 21, the command is given to Peter again. This time, the Lord doesn't say, Peter, you can't follow me where I'm going. Now the directive, the sobering command is given, Peter, follow me. This is the same Peter. This is the same man. So we know that the Lord Jesus Christ glorified the Father in His death, but we also know Peter writes about this glorying, the glorying God in their death in 2 Peter chapter 1. So we'd like to turn there. 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verses 12 through 15. Peter would later write about glorifying God in death. 2 Peter 1, verses 12 through 15. Now remember, Peter writes as an eyewitness to Christ. He saw him with his own eyes, and now he writes in this particular text regarding that. Verse 12, 2 Peter 1. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Knowing that shortly I must, notice that, I must put off this my tabernacle even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the holy mount. Peter makes reference, knowing this, I must put off my earthly tabernacle. Peter knew his death was coming. And he knew that he was dying and his death would glorify Christ. If you've ever made yourself familiar or have read or scanned through, I would advise you to obtain a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. In that book of martyrs, it gives a listing of all the martyrs that are known that have died for the cause of Christ. Within that book of martyrs, Fox's Book of Martyrs, it gives the account of the deaths of the disciples. It does mention that Peter was crucified at Rome. James was crucified at age 94. He was stoned and beaten to death. John, it tells us, was exiled to Patmos. Andrew was crucified. Philip was stoned, then crucified. Thomas was killed with a spear. Bartholomew was beaten, then crucified. Matthew was slain with an axe. James the Great was beheaded, and Simon was crucified, and Jude was also crucified. These disciples 
that Jesus is saying, follow me. This is not just a rallying Christian cry of let's just do something exciting for Jesus. This was, you are going to die and in your death, you are going to glorify God. You see, when we put out the call to follow Christ, we're not just putting out some superficial call. This is not an easy road. This is not something that God is telling to Peter, listen, uh, following me is going to be easy. No, the disciples were going to face greater persecution, remember, because Jesus was now going to be gone. He was taking the brunt of most of the the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the, the enemies of the cross. Well, now he's going to go away and they are going to be left with this. So the Lord says to Peter in response, when he had spoken this, follow me. Follow me how? By preaching the gospel. Follow me in death. Remember, our Lord is basically by saying, follow me. He is renewing the call that he had given to Peter. Now, John doesn't give a specific account of this, but Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22, it says this, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. This is not the first time Peter's heard the words, follow me, but now these words have a very real and very sobering meaning to them. So that is the prophecy that Jesus gives concerning Peter's death. Verses 20 and 21, we see the question Peter asked concerning John. This is an interesting turn in the narrative. Jesus is talking to Peter, follow me, and Peter, look it says in verse 20, then Peter turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved. We know the Bible tells us by interpretation that the disciple that Jesus loved, we're told earlier that it is John. And he interprets itself, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? This is, a, this is a, uh, a review of what happened while they were seated around the table. And John had looked up at Jesus after he had said, one of you is going to betray me. And John was the one that said, who is it, Lord? It's interesting now that Peter is not talking to Jesus. Now he's turned about and he's looking right at John. Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus. He sees John, he turns back, Lord, what shall this man do? Now, I, I sat and looked at this, and, and I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about this. And again, we want to be careful that we don't put into the narrative what we think he's thinking. There's a lot of different directions this could go. We could say uh, he's, he's looking at him and he's, he's looking over at John and who, who wrote the book. He's the, he's the epistle writer. He doesn't call him by name. He just calls him by this man. And Peter, who's now been given the directive that he is going to die a martyr's death, it's almost as if Peter is looking and he's looking at John and he says, Lord, what's John going to have to suffer? 
Now again, that's not what it says other than the fact that it does say, what shall this man do? Peter could have been asking, does John have to follow you in death as well? Does John have to die a martyr's death? Is it, it's really difficult to determine exactly what Peter and why he was asking Christ this question. Now let's take the very optimistic view. Peter was concerned about his friend John. I don't want John to have to die the same death. I don't want John to have to go through. Was he genuinely concerned about John? Or maybe, just maybe, he was curious about John's service and John's usefulness. Folks, it is human nature for us to look at a situation and say, if I have to die for the faith, why doesn't John and everybody else have to die for the faith? In our today, we might say that, why do I have to endure these things for God? Why do I have to go through this? Why the other people that I attend church with or the other people in the body of Christ, why am I suffering so greatly for the cause of Christ? And they appear to be suffering nothing. I gave you that account of Fox's Book of Martyrs because we know that each one of them suffered greatly. So again, we won't be dogmatic about what Peter's intent was here, but we do know by the response that Jesus gives to him, Jesus perceived in him that the reason he was asking may not have been the right reason to ask. Because he says, and we'll read this further, what is that to thee? Without irreverence, Jesus is saying, Peter, that's none of your business. You see, this is a difficult truth. Peter could be asking, am I the only one who has to bear the wrath of men for the glory of God? Why does my death have to be the one that glorifies God? From the answer our Lord gives to Peter, we determine that the question was an out-of-place question. Evidently, what the Lord had just told Peter, follow me or follow thou me, had really not been received or really registered with Peter quite yet. Which brings us to the reply of Christ to Peter's question. Which is where we really begin to see now what Jesus' intent and what he knows about Peter. Jesus saith unto him, verse 22, If I will that he, that's a reference to John, tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. The Lord's reply carries a rebuke. This is a rebuke for Peter's questioning, or we might refer to it as his curiosity. Peter is asking into things that are the mysteries of God. Some have referred to him as secret matters. But whatever it was that motivated Peter, Jesus is responding, if it's my will for John to live and not die until I return, what concern of that, what concern should that be to you? And the answer is none. You follow me, Peter. You follow me. Whatever I do with John is not your business. What I do with John and what happens in the sovereignty of God's hand, it's not for you to decide, it is for me to decide. And if I allow John to live until I come again, that's between me and John, not between me, you and John. 
there's a lot of this going around in our Christian circles where we say, why do I have to suffer so greatly and someone else doesn't? And I would respond to all of us saying that really is none of our business to know the mysteries of God. Man is called to different places in the world. And there are people today who are ministering in places that you and I, they are unfathomable places. They are places that you and I, I think if they dropped us in that place, we would run as soon as we got there and we'd run away. I'm just being honest with you. That's the way human nature is. We, we, would, we would not be willing to suffer because it's not agreeable to the flesh. You can read stories in these Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can read stories about young people and old people. You can read about people being burned at the stake. You can read about people uh, being told, listen, if you'll just renounce the name of Christ, we will not light this. We will, we will allow you to live. Names like Lady Jane Grey, a young 16-year-old girl who all she had to do was renounce her faith and she refused to announce it. She could have easily said, why, Lord, do I have to glorify You in my death? Why at 16 is this my ending? It's for the glory of God. You see, it's not really our business. It's not our business to know what God does with people why others are allowed to suffer and others are, are told they're not going to suffer. Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter and understanding this. The body of Christ is made up of many different members. All of us, every church, every congregation, the, the, the visible church of Christ, the invisible church of Christ, every single one is a member of the body of Christ who's in Christ. And all of them are different. It's taken me a lot of years to come to this understanding. There was a time in my life when I would look at every single flock, every single member of a flock and say, all of us have the same gifts, have the same responsibilities, and that's just not true. We all have the same responsibility to glorify God with the gifts that we're given. And we're not all the same. That's why I said, be very careful that you don't think you're Peter. And be careful that you don't put yourself in the narrative that you're David. You see, God equips those people for the, the manner and the hour in which they're going to face. The Lady Jane Greys of the world and those that, others that had been martyred for the faith didn't die because it was agreeable to the flesh. They were given the power and the ability to die that death for the cause of Christ. That's why they died the way they did. The flesh does not agree to that. The flesh, the flesh says, all I have to do is renounce Christ and I'll go free. Your flesh says, I want to go free. The flesh is always contrary to the Spirit. Again, Jesus is trying to deal with Peter not on the flesh level. Peter is dealing with the flesh level, not in the Spirit. What had Jesus already called Peter to do? We've been reading about this. Peter, you've already been called to preach the Word. You've been called to feed My sheep. You've been called to follow Me. You've been called to do the work that I give to you for My glory according to the will and purposes of God. Now notice after Jesus says this, this is interesting. Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he, John, tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren. You ever had one of those conversations that once it starts with somebody, it continues? 
That's what's happening here. They begin talking about this interaction. The brethren are now talking about, here's what they're talking about, that that disciple, that's John, should not die. What they got out of that was, is that Jesus is saying, John's not going to die, but the rest of us are. You see what's happening here. This is, this is really kind of a fascinating interaction that's happening. Because now you've got the brethren talking about this. Yet, Jesus said not unto him. Here's the Bible interpreting itself. Jesus said not unto him, Peter, he shall not die. Jesus never told Peter, John's not going to die. He just said, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to you? But what they had taken that to mean is that you're telling us John's not going to die, but the rest of us are. Well, that's not fair. Jesus never said that. And by the way, we ought to be very thankful that John, he was exiled to Patmos and we have the book of Revelation as evidence that that's what Jesus did with John. But see what happens? The disciples all made their own story. That's what happens. You hear what Jesus said? Jesus said, he's not going to die. No, he didn't. If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? If I let him live longer or let him live until I come, what is that to you? Again, notice how easily we can turn things into what seems more natural and more accommodating to the flesh. Now, we could, we could make a lot of suppositions here, and I think this is important for us to know. It is normal and our natural instinct to misinterpret, misread, and misapply the Word of God. That's our natural instinct. That's the flesh. Now, I know we all want to be theologians, and we have, we have from day one at this church have so tried to delve as deep into doctrine and into scriptural truth to the ground and be sound in our doctrine. We make a big deal about doctrine here. We will always make a big deal about doctrine. That's why we have the hymn books that we have is because they're doctrinally sound. They teach us biblical truth. But do you know that your nature will still read the scriptures and will first of all apply what's more appealing to the flesh first? In other words, we gravitate towards the scriptures that seem to make us feel the better about ourselves. And we miss the bigger picture of why it's being said. See, our nature is to read the scripture not for what God's word actually says, but to read it and to misinterpret it what it might actually be saying. That's what the brethren did. They were saying, Jesus just now said, John's not going to die. No, he didn't. He misinterpreted what he said. Again, why do I tell you that anytime any message is preached, whether it's me or another man of the church or whoever, why do I always say this? Go home and study for yourself. Sure. Number one, here's what I know about me. I'm going to make statements that I didn't mean to say the way they said that they were, I said them wrong. <laughs> Mark it down. Sometimes I get reminded of them. Sometimes people say, do you know you said that? And I'm like, you know what? I didn't. Thank you for telling me. I get back on the recording and I go and find, I say, you're right. I did say that. But you need to read the scriptures for yourself. Study to show yourself approved. 
Say, it's not because, hey, pastor said this or the preacher said this. No, what did the Bible actually say? So if I got up and, and taught you today and say, you know what Jesus was saying? Jesus was saying John was not going to die. I told you wrong. No, what he said is I never said that. Again, nature misinterprets. The rumor this is, this is rumor going forth from the brethren. And it remained for a long time that John was not going to die but that he would remain until the second coming of the Lord Jesus. John, who wrote this epistle, and we know his testimony is correct, is the one that sets the record straight. And here's how he sets the record straight. Verse 24, remember, John is the one writing this book. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things. John, who wrote this epistle, the Lord didn't say John would not die. And in answer to Peter's concern for what place John would serve and what death John would die, again, Peter is told by the Lord, this is really none of your business to follow me, fulfill my purpose. Whatever I'm pleased to do with John, that's what I'm going to do. So verses 24 and 25, these are the final two verses of this journey through the book of John. And notice how important these concluding, closing words are. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. The apostle closes this gospel with another reminder of the reality of the truth of God's word. He says in verse 25, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. John reminds us of the inadequacy of human words to describe and to tell all of the glory of God. If, the, if we attempted... If it were attempted by man to tell the world everything that Jesus did, everything that could be written, the books, there would not be enough books to contain it. We're privileged to have the book of John. We're privileged to have all 21 chapters. We're privileged to have Genesis from Revelation. But do you realize this is not a full account of every single thing that Jesus did? Yet, we need to understand that all that we've been given is all that Jesus has seen fit to give us. Now, this is another hard truth. And again, we don't think about this. We're always seeking and searching for something more. If Jesus wanted us to know more, and again, I'll give you an example. I used illustration today of Fox's Book of Martyrs. That's not an inspired book. I'm not giving you that because I think the Bible's missing something. I'm giving you just something to consider. But do you realize that from Genesis to Revelation, we are not talking about man's words. We're talking about the Word of God, the breathed out, inspired Word of God. That means God Himself actually spoke these words. And he used human penmen to write his words and to give us his mind. So as we read the scriptures, he says these things we know that his testimony is true. And friends, I cannot tell you and stress enough 
how desperately we need to know that you hold in your hands, you hold the truth. Not relative truth, not sometimes truth. You hold the truth. And anything contrary to the Word of God is a lie. So someone says, well, your Bible doesn't have this. God has given us all that we need to know about. Never imagine that everything the Lord did is recorded in this book or any other book. If you could have all the miracles He did, every sermon He preached, every work He performed, every word that He spoke, the world could not contain the books that would have to be written to do that. Then why does man think I need to exceed beyond the boundaries of Scripture to find where truth resides? You already have all the truth you need to know. The answer for every one of life's problems is contained in this book. This is not a supplement to your other system. This is the Word. This is the Word that tells us the things that God Himself wanted us to know. This book was written before the foundation of the world. You say, no, I want to know when, when the canon was complete. When did the church fathers acknowledge it? Yes, there was a time in human history when the church fathers said, we now acknowledge that the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is the acknowledged authoritative Word of God. If you have a lot of extra time, study how you got your Bible. Study it. You say, I went to the store and bought it. How did it get to you? What did it require? How did they settle on the reality that Genesis through Revelation was the only inspired Scripture that you needed to have? Why isn't the Bible ten sizes bigger than this if there are that many more things out there that have been written? Because the reality is, is everything that's contained in this book and everything that's contained in this epistle of John has been given to us that we might know Him and that we might follow Him and that we might love Him. Some would say, well, I'll follow Him if I could just get another glimpse of who He is. I'll follow Him if I can have an extra biblical revelation. I'll follow Him if I can have a vision. I'll follow Him if I can get a direct message from Him. If you're going to follow Christ, you're going to follow Christ because it's contained in His Word, not because you need some extra biblical revelation. Why did man get visions before the Scripture was completed? Because they didn't have a copy of God's Word. You don't need that anymore. You don't need God to show up in a vision. He's already revealed to you His entire mind. I cannot tell you how many times I've dealt with people who are struggling with, yes, but it's outside of Scripture. It's what about this? Listen, the Scripture is the truth. Amen. What we need to know about Peter is here. What we need to know about his following him. God has been pleased to have written all that is necessary for you and I to know. Not only necessary, but needful. There's a difference. Necessary and need. What does man need to know? Man needs to know everything he can concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ. If you're going to set out in your life to know something, know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
If you want to make it your life's work, set out to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Learn to glory in nothing except the cross of Jesus Christ. Because if you set out and you seek those two things, guess what it's going to take you? It's going to take you to the Scriptures. Because if you seek to know Christ, you've got to start in Genesis. And every book of the Bible is going to point you to the purposes of God. Why does Christ give us the Word? Why does God give us the Word? That we may know Him, believe Him, follow Him. And ultimately, even though we possess eternal life today, to one day be with Him where He is and be like Him. What does it mean to be like Christ? It has nothing to do with our outward appearance. It has to do with we will be free from sin. The very thing that separates man from a holy God's sin, you and I will one day as believers in Christ will stand face to face with our Lord and we will be like Him. We will be as He is. We will be without sin. In John 20, verse 31, the very first message in this series, I pointed us to this key verse and now we're going to look back at it one more time. The key verse of the entire book of John is John 20, verse 31. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. Someone says, what's the purpose of John? What's the purpose of the Bible? That ye might believe. Folks, if we ever get to the place where we're no longer concerned about people's belief, we're in trouble. Every human being believes in something. Every human being worships something. It's either a person, a place, or a thing. Man's been made to worship. God made man to worship. But God has only given one worthy of worship. And that's God Himself. Open your eyes in society one day, wherever you go, and see how many, see how many false gods you can find. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're not just ideals. They're not just thoughts. They're actually where their belief system is. As sad as it is, you can tell a lot about a person's belief system even on social media. You can tell me what you say you are, but you can also say what you are. What your belief system is, is how it's going to equate to how you live. When Jesus told Peter to follow me, he wasn't asking Peter just to follow him down the road for a little while. He was telling Peter, this is the whole reason why I came. This is the whole reason now how, what you're going to do. You're going to feed my sheep and you are ultimately going to die in the same manner and fashion in which I died. All for the cause of belief and God's glory. Freedom to believe in this country. All right? Kind of a commentary here. Freedom to believe in this country. Every human being has a right to believe what they want to believe. But there's only one right way of belief. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way. It's a remedy for your sin. And it's through Jesus Christ. Man can believe whatever he wants to believe. 
And we grieve at the reality that why would man take the love of Christ and turn away from it and say, I want nothing to do with that. Yet the Apostle Peter, as he was being called to follow, he had eyewitness accounts of this Christ. He had eyewitness. That's one of the things that made him an apostle. I saw the resurrected Savior. Nobody in this room has seen the resurrected Savior. It explained to me how you have people who have a belief system that there are apostles today. How can you be an apostle if you've never seen him? You don't need an apostle. You and I have more spiritual truth, scriptural truth in our hands than the Apostle Paul ever had. You have more of God's mind being revealed to you than, than any saint in Scripture. The Bible wasn't completed. You and I have less excuse to follow Christ than any generation. You have access to more, and you've got to be careful, you have more access to Bible truth at your fingertips than any generation in history. Sadly, right along with truth, you have heresy. And I'm telling you as a church, please be careful of what you count as biblical truth just because it's alongside of somebody preaching truth. Our YouTube page is a prime example of that. Be very careful. Just because a suggested preacher comes up doesn't mean that he's preaching the truth. Man's belief, the only way of belief, must through, be through Christ. Again, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy a number of these lessons, and these are all related to what Jesus was calling Peter to. 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 through 17. Actually, I want to begin in verse 10, because this is the account where Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's preparing Timothy for the day. And I want us to read this today again, not putting ourselves as if we're in the narrative per se, but I want you to see if you recognize the things Paul warned Timothy about. Are you seeing this today? He says in verse 10, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, here's, here's that verse that people don't put on their refrigerator as a life verse. Are you ready? Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Those don't sell at the Christian bookstore. They don't. But that's truth. If you're going to live godly in this world, if you're going to follow the Lord, you are going to suffer persecution of some sort. So when persecution comes, you shouldn't be shocked and say, why is this happening to me? But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's happening. It's been happening in our generation and for generations previous to us. And I love what Paul tells Timothy. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, 
And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. From a child, how remarkable it is that Paul gave concerning the times in which he lived and how needful it is for this present age. That if we're going to follow Christ as darkness gets darker and darker and evil men and seducers wax worse and worse. If you read the first few uh, verses of that chapter, it talks about the perilous times, people being lovers of their own, their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despised of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. And here's the key, having a form of godliness. There is nothing that's infiltrated Christianity more than a form of godliness that has no desire to truly follow Christ. It's a form. It has the outward appearance of. But when the persecution comes, you're going to know who really is there because there's only going to be a few standing there. And be careful. That you don't announce when the persecution is not your doorstep that you'll be one standing. It's easy when the axe and the spear is not in your face. Be careful that we don't become overzealous about what we are for God and understand that we are living in these times. We're living in these days. And I've told you this three weeks ago, yet I see more fear out of Christians than I've ever seen in my young life. Christians are more afraid now, and we haven't even gotten to the real stuff yet. Folks, we're not even on the doorstep yet. We're inconvenienced by an epidemic. But this isn't it. These things can get your eyes off of the real things that are at hand. When Jesus told Peter to follow him, Peter, by this point in time, he knew what that was going to cost him. And that's what I believe led him to ask the question, Lord, why do I have to suffer? And John doesn't. Listen, the main thing we have to do in this world is to seek after Christ until you find him. Today, if you're seated here today and you've never repented, you've never believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would tell you to get up in a few minutes. I want you to leave this place and I want you to do nothing more the rest of this day, the rest of this week, the rest of this month than intelligently and intentionally seek after Christ. And I'm asking you to run to Christ. I'm asking you to desire Him above even your necessary food. Strive to find Him. You say, I thought Christ came looking for us. He does. But there's certainly nothing wrong with saying, listen, you want truth, you want the reality, go seek Him. Go seek him. Because the Bible clearly says, I will cast out none who come unto me. Don't use excuses as to why I can't run after Him. Our purpose is to run after Christ, to look for Him, to trust in Him, to believe in Him. 
Your life, my life, is absolute vanity if you don't live for God. A wasted life is a life that doesn't live for Christ. That's a wasted life. Don't waste your life. You say, I've got so many things I want to accomplish. I've got so many things I want to do. If God is not the sole purpose in why you do what you do, it's vanity. The sole purpose for your family ought to be, I want my family to run to seek after God and to be authentic Christians. Not Christian bookstore Christians. You understand? Not Christian bookstore Christians. I'm not asking you to be Peter. I'm just simply telling us today that if we don't live by the faith that is found in Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior, the one and only way of belief, it is better for that man to have never been born than to live and die without faith. Because to die without faith would have been a life lived in vain. That's why we're concerned about not just our young ones and our older ones and our middle age. We're concerned that all would know that our very first concern in this life is Jesus Christ. That's our first concern. Christ isn't fourth or fifth on your list. He's supposed to be the sole reason why you're living. The sole reason why you're the father, why you're the husband, why you're the worker, why you're the pastor. Why we do what we do is for the glory of God. And odds are, not a single one of you are ever going to be crucified upside down. As a matter of fact, we're all probably going to live a pretty relatively quiet Christian existence. But you understand that the Bible does say if you're going to live godly, you can expect persecution. What will it be? Jesus, remember, what's it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Folks, this world is not about believing in Christ. It's about acquiring as much as you can acquire. And that man, that woman's going to step out into eternity without Christ. I beg of you, seek after Christ. If you've been saved and you're saved now, you know you're regenerate, you know you're converted, then the main business of our life is still to follow Christ. He is not just the Lord of your salvation. He is the Lord of your salvation and He is to be the Lord of your life. When our sin, we learned in our Bible study hour this morning, when our sin has been pardoned and our eternal security of the soul, we're sure sure of that. There's a certainty of that. The next thing that we ought to be doing is seeking the purity of our own soul. Our soul ought to be living for God and living a life of character. And integrity. Christian integrity. Christian character. Living a life that's pleasing to God. Who's our, who, who's our, who's, who is Christian character modeled the greatest? In absolute perfection. Christ is our perfector. Christ is perfect. He didn't come to just give us an example of how to live a good life. He came to give His life a ransom for many. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
I love what Hebrews 12 says, and this is another verse you can post right there in front of you. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Sin ought to be being conquered in your life. Part of following Christ, we, our desires ought to be changing. The power of God's Spirit ought to be alive within us. We ought to be gracious people. Listen, believing these doctrines that we hold so dear at this church, if it does not equate to how we live our life, then it's vanity. If you're going to believe in the grace of God, that grace ought to be demonstrated to other people and it ought to be demonstrated in our life. And there's nothing more gracious we can do than to mold my life and how I live according to what the Bible says I ought to be. What I believe about God, what I believe about Jesus Christ, what I believe about who He is. We may not die the same death that John died. Or that Peter died. And we won't do the same things that John did. But I do believe that there still is a call on every believer to follow me. Whatever, whatever that is, Christ has got to be at the very center of it. Follow me. I want to conclude with our reading from the Valley of Vision. We're at chapter 6, page 274. This is simply entitled Requests. This one makes reference to our character and our conduct. It says, O oh God, may I never be a blot or a blank in life. Cause the way of truth to be evil spoken of or make my liberty an occasion to the flesh. May I by love serve others and please my neighbor for his good edification. May I attend to what is ornamental as well as essential in religion, pursuing things that are lovely and of a good report. May I render my profession of the gospel not only impressive, but amiable and inviting. May I hold forth the way of Jesus with my temper as well as my tongue, with my life as well as my lips. May I say to all I meet, I am journeying towards the Lord's given place. Come with me for your good. May I be prepared for all the allotments of this short, changing, uncertain life with a useful residence in it, a comfortable journey through it, a safe passage out of it. May I be in character and conduct like the dew of heaven, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, the fullness of the fountain. May I never be ashamed of Jesus or his words, be deterred from fulfilling a known duty through fear, be discouraged from attempting it through weakness. May I see all things in a divine light so that they may inform my judgment and sanctify my heart. And by all the disciplines of thy providence and all the ordinances of religion, may I be increasingly prepared for life's remaining duties. The solemnities of a dying hour and the joys and services that lie beyond the grave. Let's stand together and we'll close our time in prayer. Father, as we bring this time to a close, there are times in our life when we find ourselves at a loss of words and a loss of 
thanksgiving for what you've done. And Lord, I, we don't come today making promises or vows that we have no intention of keeping. But Lord, I do pray that through the power of the Spirit, you would give us what we need to live a life that is pleasing and glorifying to you. We know this power does not come from the flesh. The flesh will fail us every time. But may we live in the power of the Spirit of God. The comforter that you promised to send to your disciples, the Holy Spirit that would come after you ascended, after Christ ascended back to the right hand of his Father, that comforter, that convictor. Lord, we go in that power. Not in extra biblical revelation, not in things that go beyond what your word has revealed, but in spiritual and scriptural truth. May we live a life that is for your glory and for your honor. May Christ be our goal to follow him. May that be the desire in each one of our families, in each one of our individual hearts. May we truly seek after Christ with the desire to follow Him wherever those paths and that journey may lead us. Lord, we're living in uncertain times, but we know in in You all things are certain. Every prophecy will be fulfilled. And ultimately, we know that one day all things will be made right. Help us to be looking forward to the return of Christ. May that never leave our view, knowing that one day your son is coming back to claim his bride. And Lord, I pray that we would be found living a life that is faithful to your word. Lord, go with us now. Dismiss us with thy blessing. And it's in Christ's name that we ask these things and for his sake. Amen. Mm -hmm.